0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: Hey everyone, welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here joined by Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com. We are going to do a mock draft of sorts on the podcast this time. Not who the actual major league teams will select, but who Jonathan and Jim would select in the draft. We'll go through the first top ten picks and see how that plays out. But some other stuff to cover as well. Who's on the rise? We love that word helium and also what players are maybe fading now that we're getting to late April. Before we get to all that draft stuff, though, a bit of breaking news as we record this on Thursday afternoon. Luis Robert, the Cuban player, uh, just a teenager, and the next great supposedly Cuban player coming into uh, Major League Baseball, and he has been cleared to sign with a Major League club. And the timing is interesting because it means he's playing by the old rules and the old CBA, which means he could end up with a very large contract, but it also limits the number of teams that will be able to get in on that. Um, I'll start with that. And, and Jonathan, you think I would think Robert is excited that this has happened as quickly as it had, if it happened later in the summer – suddenly the the amount of money he would be able to sign for would be greatly decreased
0: right right I mean he still won't be able to sign I guess until May 20th that's uh, per our very own Jesse Sanchez uh, but it is before you know things uh, change uh, so he can uh, get a fairly large payday I think there are a number of teams that are probably excited as well uh, you know teams that would not be able to spend that you know the, the money and once the new system goes into effect uh, Uh, the the bonus slots or the pools the teams have to to play with are fairly rigid uh you know even if you traded for a whole bunch of international bonus money i think you can max out at around 10 million uh now teams can go over teams that had already gone over can keep going over uh you know as has been the case which is why they changed the, the system but uh I think in terms of the parties involved, everyone's going to be very excited to uh, to, to try to make this happen.
1: Yeah, maybe the last great, huge signing contract as far as international players, and that may help him even more because of that. Jim, what do we really know about this guy as far as a player? Um, most of the, the position players we've seen come over from Cuba, they're toolsy guys, they're athletic, they can do a lot of things. Does he fit into that mold?
2: He does. He does. I mean, he, I think he's... The most exciting Cuban prospect since Yon Mancada. Um, be curious to see how his bonus compares to the 31.5 million dollar bonus and, and matching tax penalty Mancada got. But you know, they're you know he's he's taller. You know they're, they're same age when they both came over. Robert is taller, not quite as as muscle bound as Mancada, but they both have huge bat speed. Mancada probably a little bit better hitter at the same point. Um, you know, they're both going to hit for a lot of power, you know, Robert, Robert's a good athlete. Mancata was a great athlete. That's probably the difference between them, you know, infield outfield. But I mean, he's, I guess if we kept calling, you know, Mancata, Robinson Cano with more speed, uh, you know, Robert is, is similar to Mancata with, with less speed, which I don't know. Maybe that makes him Robinson Cano in the outfield. I, I don't know, but it, it's a pretty exciting package.
1: All right, so that's uh, the international front. As far as the upcoming draft, we love that term, helium, Jonathan, and you have a uh, something coming out on MLBPipeline.com and some of the guys that are making that rise right now. Um, who really stands out as far as guys that are gaining more and more traction as we get closer to the June draft?
0: Well, there are a few guys, especially if you're looking at, um, you know, there's sort of two ways to classify helium. There are the guys that you, if you look at our old top 50, Rankings that came out late fall, and uh, the new top 100, which only Jim and I are looking at, but uh, you know, getting a sense of where guys are, are going to be. Uh, the guys who made helium from one list, to, to, you know, have helium from one list to the next. Then there are the you know the guys that have you know helium sort of pop up uh, over the last six seven weeks of the draft. We'll save that for another day. Uh, probably the guy that that jumps out the most to me. Uh, well, there are, there are there are a few, and, and you know, and Jim, you can jump in here too, but I'm going to start with Nick Prado. Um, you know, one thing I should point out, you know, Jim and I split up the country, uh, and and really focus on different regions. Uh, so I'll stick with my guy in Southern California. Uh, Prado is a guy who uh, it, it was very interesting. He was number 42 on our top 50, uh, so obviously he was a known entity. Uh, it was. Kind of a split camp as a two-way player, uh, very competitive, good left-handed pitcher, knew how to pitch without plus stuff, and a solid first baseman and really knew how to hit. And then what happened this spring is his batch completely took off, uh, really started to add power, uh, fit the first base profile. He is, by many scouts, uh, grades a 70 defender at first base. I mean, a really, really good defender. He, he plays it almost like a third baseman, uh, you know, so all that was going to be good, but the question was, was the power going to play at first? And that's what separated him. No one is talking about him as a left-handed pitcher anymore. And he has gone from sort of that a kind of interesting two-way guy who has played well for Team USA in the past uh, to, to a guy who uh, might be the best pure high school bat in the country. Uh, and for that reason, he has moved way up and, and is likely a guy who's going to land in our top ten when that list comes out next week.
1: Jim, one guy that I know um, just – as the the scripts kind of roll in, as you guys update the top 100, and, and another guy that seems to be rising up and and looking good as far as that goes is is Austin Beck, right? He's he another Helium guy in your mind?
2: Yeah, he, he he's the guy who who's made the biggest push from off the list. As Jonathan said, you know Prado was a guy who was a known quantity, and he stepped up his game. You know, Beck, much more of an unknown quantity. He, in large part, I mean, he—he he was. People knew who he was, and he would have been at Tournament of Stars and, and been at all the showcase events. I mean, he would have been an in-demand guy at those last summer, except he, he blew out his left knee, his ACL and his meniscus in a North Carolina State playoff game last May, and he was sidelined all summer, all fall. Didn't go to Jupiter in the fall, and so was kind of off the radar a little bit. So we we didn't rank him in our preseason top fifty, and, and now I mean, I think there's probably. Well, if the draft were today, a lot can change in the next six weeks. If the draft were today, I think he probably goes somewhere in the top 5, 10, and certainly 15 picks. One of the better all-around athletes in the draft. I mean, you could put sixes. If you really like him, you could put sixes on the power, the speed, the arm strength, the outfield defense. I mean, the defense in the outfield probably needs some polish, but he's young and it's time to do that. You know, The big question with him is the bat. You know, there is, We did not get to see him last summer you know swinging with wood bats against the nation's best high school pitchers and get to judge him against good competition. Now, it's not like a case like with a, you know, say a Bubba Starling who struggled with wood bats, you know, on the showcase circuit to some extent and there were some questions which proved to to, to be valid about Bubba Starling's hit ability. So it's not so much that Beck has been exposed, but he just hasn't been tested, I guess is the best way to put it. But that said, uh, I still think he's going to go very high in the draft, and and really, I mean, the other in the same state, uh, Mackenzie Gore, left-handed pitcher, is another guy who could go in the top five or ten picks. He he was a guy coming into the year; he was athletic. Guys loved his makeup. He had good stuff. You know, being left-handed didn't hurt. And all of a sudden, he's kicked it up another notch. You know, his fastball's probably jumped three or four miles an hour. I mean, he's throwing a lot of 92, 96 and holding the velo. His curve has improved a great. I I had one scout who, who gave him a seven or eight fastball, six curveballs, six sliders, six ups, six control, and at least five command. Um, and so I think you're going to see, you know, these, these two North Carolina kids both go very high. You know, Jonathan, you and I talked before the season. Sometimes uh, <laughs> we 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 look good because you know maybe we're fortunate, but I, I thought we were being aggressive. I heard good things about Gore in the fall, and I thought we might be a little bit over the top putting him 28th. But I had such good information that we did that, and he's still going to go probably 20 picks higher than that. So right. a really good year for those two guys in North Carolina.
0: It's uh, it's interesting because again, you know, what happens sometimes with the, with those guys, and and there's a little bit of. Uh, luck You get really good information. Uh, and they have great falls, and you, and you kind of put them up there, and then they come out and fall on their faces in the spring, or maybe they come out of the gate really hot in the spring, but they don't maintain it. Uh, Gore is definitely an example of a guy who kind of picked up where he left off the fall that was not a an aberration at all and has uh, continued to have an up arrow next to his name.
1: How about the opposite, the anti-helium guys? <laughs> I guess, for for lack of a better term to put it, is there a guy that's really like you just said, uh, Jonathan? Uh, is there a guy that's really falling off?
0: Well, Jim, do you want to talk about uh, Seth Romero since he's uh, in in your neck of yeah. the woods? And this is this is a case where it's not uh, not performance driven, uh, but uh, rather stuff off the field.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's uh, the, Seth Romero, the Houston uh, left-hander. On our preseason list, uh, I think we—I forget where we had him coming into the year—but in the in the 20s, and you know, I think he had pitched himself into the top 10 picks in the the draft. I mean, he's he's been upper 90s with the fastball. He's he was in the best shape of his life. He had a plus slider. He had a plus changeup. He's left-handed. Guys were really really enthused by how good he looked. I mean, I, I talked to. Some you know Midwest cross checkers who, who thought he was the best guy in their entire region. and unfortunately, for him, a couple weeks ago, on a road trip uh, in Florida, he got suspended for, for violating team policies. It's unclear as to whether he's even going to be welcomed back to the team this spring. Uh, he's been suspended in the past for what were called conditioning issues, and he was not in good shape, but some are wondering if that was now for conditioning issues or something else. And you, you talk to area scouts who, who have some history with him going back to high school, and they say there were, there were issues with Seth Romero going back to high school. So you have a case of a guy who's probably a top 10 talent in this draft, and people are getting really scared of the makeup. Um, yeah. You know, so we'll see what happens. I talked to a team that thought he might even be available when they picked in the second round and they probably wouldn't be interested if he was in the second round. No, it's not gonna be the case for thirty teams and you know, there've been guys with shaky makeup who who've turned out to be good big leaguers and you know, talent tends to win out at some point, so but he's I think Jonathan he's gotta be Right now, the biggest wild card in terms of first-round talent of just not knowing. I have no idea where that guy If you gave me, like, a five-pick range to pinpoint where he'd go, I wouldn't feel very confident of being able to tell you where that was. I mean, my guess would be if it was a five-pick range. I would guess 21 to 25, but, you know, it's a total wild card situation.
0: I think whatever five-pick range you picked, I would wager that it would come outside that five-pick range. Wow, but, I mean it's just cuz I wow. think it's really it, it it is really uh no and that's not uh, uh belittling I shot at me you, I think that was a you're shot You're not not a shot at all. So you'll know when it's a shot, trust me. Um I just think it's it is so hard cuz there are going to be teams that will be like no I won't I mean I I'm not going to touch, you know, those issues at all because uh the potential for it to continue and to completely sabotage a career too much. And then there are the teams, you know, as Jim said that don't don't really care uh, and, uh, about that sort of thing, and it's just going to have to be, you know, the, the right Boy, team. my dogs
2: are angry now.
0: Yes, they're very angry that I t- took a perceived shot at you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it'll have to be the right team at the right time, whether or not, you know, uh, he's willing to maybe cut a deal because of what's happened.
2: We'll have to sort of wait and see.
1: Never know what's going to happen here on the Pipeline podcast. We get some, <laughs> some I, mean, I extra... think somebody
2: was, like, dropping mail off at my front door and the the dogs are outraged now
1: some extra guests the starring from the callous dogs all right we're going to move on to our draft the top 10 picks at least but before we do that we want to take a moment to tell you about the cut forecast the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's cut Four section which focuses on the lighter side of baseball if you've made it this far into our podcast we really think you'd enjoy that one as well I'll make you it'll make you laugh. It, You might even learn something about baseball dogs or baseball food. Or, if you listen to this week's episode, you might learn something about the return of international dinger King Eric Thames or why Yasiel Puig might soon be teaming up with Kevin Hart. If that sounds like something you'd like, search for Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number four, C-A-S-T, in iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Click subscribe. Now on with the pipeline podcast, and guys, the one question mark when you're gonna go top ten picks and back and forth between the two of you is basically who's gonna go first. Uh, I have a coin, so Jim, I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna flip the coin, and you can say heads or tails. Ready? three I to call it in the air. Yep, three, two, one, flip, call it Head. And it is tails. Jonathan, would you like to go first or second?
0: I, I just did a, a Dave DeBuscher. I just got Patrick Ewing in the NBA lottery fist pump.
1: <laughs> Outstanding. All right. So I assume that means you want to pick first. I don't know why I do. you win. So So here you go. There's obviously some great players at the top. There's been a lot of talk about two players in particular. Will you go with McKay or Green?
0: I'm going to go with Hunter Green, and uh, to me, he he is uh, clearly the best talent uh, in the entire draft class. Uh, I, I don't I don't even think it's really close, uh, just in terms of the upside potential. And I know Jim, if he had gotten the number one pick, would would take Hunter Green. Also, we've talked about it before. Um, again, reiterating that this is who we would take, not who we think. Is going to go. Uh, that still is very much up in the air. I think, but uh, you know, this is a, a young man who is a really talented two-way player. He'd be a first-round pick as a shortstop, um, but he has been 97 to 101 consistently with his fastball, it's easy delivery, he's got a very good breaking ball, he's extremely athletic, he's uh, there's, there's, you know, a, a solid shortstop. And there's been some interesting stuff of late, and uh, i have a, a, a story up on MLBPipeline.com uh, about the fact that there was a, a rumor flying uh, that he was not going to pitch again for the rest of the spring. Uh, it stemmed from the fact that they decided not to have him pitch in this week's Boris Classic, which is a big team tournament that a ton of scouts have gone to. Uh, some of that was because of protecting his arm. Some of that was because they might face some teams in the tournament that they'll face in the playoffs. Um, but I actually talked at length uh, with Tom Dill, Notre Dame High School's head coach, and had a really good conversation with him about it. Uh, he basically said that if he had to decide right now, He's leaning towards not having him pitch again uh, just because he thinks there's too much at stake. Uh, he also got feedback from decision-makers, scouting directors, and general managers who told him that they've seen him pitch enough. Uh, they don't need to see him again to, to make a decision at or near the top of the draft. So, uh, you know, it sounds, if I if I were to guess, he may not pitch again. Uh, Coach Dill said he may revisit it a little bit. Uh, as they get closer to the playoffs uh, in about three and a half weeks, uh, he's going to continue to throw bullpens to keep his arm fresh, and so teams can come watch his bullpens if they so choose. Uh, but uh, as of right now, he, he's, there are no immediate plans for him to, to pitch again, which is, which is interesting, but uh, I think actually maybe not a bad decision. Uh, as Coach Phil pointed out, he goes, You look at the 17 or 18 year olds who throw that hard. And it's not a good history. Uh, he plays in the same league and saw Lucas Giolito go down and then need Tommy John surgery. So he's using some of those experiences to, to try to inform his decisions uh, to help ensure Hunter, Hunter Green stay healthy.
2: And then there's also, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this too, Jonathan, because you've talked to more teams out west or, or people who are scouting out west than I have. But, I mean, there's also some thought that, that this might be somewhat of a concentrated effort, not by the head coach, to perhaps make Hunter Green drop number three to the Padres, that that rumor has been making rounds for a little bit too.
1: Yeah, I just read about that today. Actually, yeah, and, and the fact that he's I, you know, to... I
2: mean,
0: I, I, I assume that you know that there's always that possibility of some jockeying, um, but if that's the case, then their coach uh, play, you know pulled up being earnest uh, a lot better than than most could. He said basically that the family has trusted him. To, to make the decisions in terms of when to use him and when not to use him. Uh, and he is erring on the side of caution because he doesn't want to be the guy to send him out and have him get hurt in, you know, in a meaningless game. Uh, not that the playoffs are meaningless, but he means you know, between now and, and then uh, and that he feels there's a greater responsibility than just trying to, to win a high school game. Uh, so none of that speaks to this motive to push him down so he can stay on the West Coast, but I'm sure that would be an added benefit.
1: All right, so number one, Hunter Green goes to the Fighting Mayos. Callis, who goes number two if you were picking?
2: Well, I'm going to tell and Jonathan's right, I would have taken Hunter Green number one. And, and I'll just throw in that I don't necessarily think it's a bad decision. I mean, what Jonathan was saying, I, I do feel like I mean, teams have seen a lot of Hunter Green going back to last summer, and they've seen him consistently great. And I, I don't know what more you need to um, – what more you need to see from him? To be honest, and it's kind of like the college football players sitting out bowl games to protect themselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you'd like to win the state playoffs, but Hunter Green's probably looking at a six million dollar plus bonus. That you know, look what happened to Brady Aiken when you know he didn't even get hurt on the field, but you know, if something goes wrong, you, you could lose a lot of money. But so anyway, well, let
0: me let me hold on. let me jump in with something real quick about that because he added something that I didn't even put in the story. He has two really good other starters and, and, and then a third guy that he's developed recently, especially with Green not pitching. And one of the things is that he, uh, the way they play, they play three-game series and then in the playoffs will be two-game series. He won't play Green at shortstop the day before he pitches or the day after he pitches. He only DHs. So you could make the argument that they have as good a chance to win a state championship with him not pitching. Now, obviously, you'd love to have him on the mound, but that's without him playing shortstop. And he may be the best shortstop in the country, best high school shortstop in the country, uh, uh, as well as the best pitcher. So uh, th- he's not throwing in the towel on the state playoffs by oh, now. I
2: would not mean to imply it, but I was just saying to me, when you look at what's at stake for this guy, I think we're going to not necessarily see more of this in baseball, but I think the trend we start to see with these college bowl games. If I'm a running back, why do I want to go play in a bowl game that's not, you know, in the national playoffs where I could, you know, you've had, we've seen it happen a number of times in football where a guy blows out a knee and it ruins his his career and reduces his chances, you know, and his bonus immensely. So I'm not even, I'm not questioning, whatever reason, I I don't think it's necessarily a bad decision. And and I think you, you were right, John. I mean, what more does Hunter Green have to prove? I mean, would you like to see him pitch? Of course you would. But like, what more does Hunter Green really have to prove to people? Like, if I'm the Twins or the Fighting Mayos picking number one, I'm sure I've seen plenty of Hunter Green. What more do I? What more do I really need to see to make a decision that I haven't seen already? But so, so getting to my pick, picking it two, I will take Brendan McKay. Which of course begs the question, which? What am I drafting him as? The the Louisville two way star. He's been the John Olrude winner, is the best two way player in the country. His freshman and sophomore years, he, he'll win that again. This year, and, and you know, talking to people about him, he, he's had just an unbelievable year both ways. And he really is the, 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 the first player, the last player who had a chance to go in the top ten, both as a hitter and pitcher, was probably Dave Winfield in 1973. Um, he's not that kind of athlete like Winfield, who was an unbelievable athlete, but he's just a very, very good baseball player. I, I would take him as a position player. Um, I, I think wow. you're—, you're le- i would i would take him as, i think he's i think there's a he i think he probably gets drafted as a left left handed pitcher although i i think it's close but i think there's a greater chance he gets drafted as a left handed pitcher than a first baseman but i'm taking him as a first baseman because a i think there's more value in an everyday player in general i think his ceiling's higher as an everyday player i think you have a chance for a longer career as an everyday player i also think he you, know, you can argue him. I mean, Pavin Smith would be in the discussion too, but but you can make a case that McKay is the best college hitter, best pure hitter in college baseball. He was the best pure hitter on Team USA last summer. His power has increased this year, and and I think with these two-way guys at the college level, I've seen it happen time and time again when they focus on one, they they, they get even better. Um, I think he's going to have at least average power. I mean, I, I, you could be looking at a, a 300. 20-plus homer, first baseman, who could be an average to solid defender. Now, as a pitcher, he's pretty good, too. It's a solid to plus fastball. It's a plus curve. He can really pitch. He's got good command. I think he's probably the realistic ceiling on his pitcher would be a number three starter. Um, And that said, even though I'm not drafting him as a pitcher, if he does get drafted as a pitcher, I think there's a very good chance he's the first player from this draft to reach the big leagues because I, I think he'll, he'll cruise through the minors pretty quickly and wind up in the middle of somebody's rotation. But I will take Brendan McKay as a first baseman. Oh, it sounded like, uh, well, I'll throw the question to you, Jonathan. Would you have taken a number two? And it sounds like you might have taken him as a pitcher had you got taken him at two.
0: Yes, I would have taken him as a pitcher, I think, um, although I see the arguments uh, either way. I don't, I'm not 100% sure I would take him number two. Um, which I guess can lead me right into my uh, the number three pick.
1: Yeah. Go ahead, Jonathan. That means you we get uh, your first two him. picks maybe. Uh, well, I'm sorry. What was that, Tim? I said, that's uh, I said, pretty we don't good.
2: Even need Tim. We're just, we're just bypassing. That's fine.
1: <laughs> that's not,
0: that's not fair at all.
2: <laughs> go ahead. Um,
0: John. so yeah, so this is where it comes into play where I'm not sure I would take McKay because, uh, you know, maybe he is the second best player, uh, in the draft class. Um, but I tend to like upside. Uh so I think that with the number three pick, uh, I'm gonna go, uh and I wanna go I don't wanna just pick guys that I'm that are in my regions because those are the guys we know best. So I'm gonna go and take the aforementioned Mackenzie Gore. So I get the top two wow. high school arms in this draft class. So I just think uh the upside is tremendous. Um Maybe it's a bit of a of a of a long shot up that high. Although I think his name is starting to creep up, uh, you know, in, into those conversations. Uh, but uh, as, as you know, Jim pointed out, a lot of people like him. Some people think he's you know maybe the best high school pitcher in the country, uh, even a more complete pitcher than than Hunter Green. I, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, I think he's really really good. So that's why I'm going to take him at third pick,
1: fourth pick to you, Jim.
2: Uh, I will get the guy. Yeah, I, I was hoping to maybe get Gore at, at number six, which is obviously not going to happen now, although I am happy because I almost took Royce Lewis at number two, and I think that might have been who Jonathan was alluding to since he does California and he just yes. wants to stay in his part of the country. But, uh, you know, I guess I'll look at it like I got. The, I think I got the best uh, position player, perhaps, in college, and the best position player, perhaps, in in high school. You know, I, I think Lewis probably is not going to be a shortstop. He's likely a center fielder, but I do think with his his power, his speed, his athleticism, I think he winds up being a star wherever he winds up. So I would take Royce Lewis at number four.
1: Number five, Jonathan.
0: That is who I was and, and he, I would have taken him at number five had he uh, had, had, had he been there so I will uh, I'm gonna stick with the high schools and uh, and since we were talking about helium guys um, I think I'm gonna take Nick Prado at, at number five uh, I think he is a, a, a safe a bet to hit his way to the big leagues as any high school position player. The power has started to come. It's going to continue to come. Uh, he's you know, made this separation with the bat while continuing to, to work on on pitching. Once he's not pitching anymore, I think the bat is really going to take off, and I think he's going to be one of these guys, uh, kind of like an Eric Hosmer, I mean, it's not the same size, but who does not take very long to, to go from high school to, to the big leagues and eventually hit in the middle of the lineup.
1: So two first basemen in the first five picks. That seems like a bit of a surprise for me. Uh, Number six to you, Jim.
2: I'm not going to do it here, but we could have another first baseman for you before we're done with this exercise. Um, In fact, it could be, I'd have to check the stats, it could be a historic year for draft first basemen because I think you could have four go in the first round. Um, I'm picking six. I will go with Kyle Wright of Vanderbilt, the right-handed pitcher. I think he's the best bet. Among college pitchers, in terms of floor and ceiling, uh, you know, McKay's got a higher floor. If you took McKay as a pitcher, Wright's got a higher ceiling. You know, his he's had kind of a rough start to the year, an ERA of nearly five, one win in his first eight starts, but the stuff's been good. He just did, the command has been off, but the command was back this past weekend against Florida. He struck out a career high thirteen, very efficient. You know, worked mid nineties for most of the game with his fastball. His breaking ball was really working well. Uh, he, he's got some athleticism, he, He's got still got some projection remaining for a college guy. I, I really like Kyle Wright a lot. I, I don't think, I guess I would be surprised when the real draft rolled around, knowing how teams look at college pitchers and, you know, and maybe look for the guys who are you know, a little closer to the big league top of the draft. I would be a little surprised if Kyle Wright was available at number six if the draft were today.
1: All right, and back to you, Jonathan, at number seven.
0: Yeah, this is where it gets a little interesting to me, um, and I like that. Uh, I, I like that pick, uh, you know. And the college pitching this year, I think there were some guys that there was hope that they would kind of separate themselves and be clear-cut top of the first-round guys, and that that hasn't really happened. Now, if Wright continues to do what he did this last week, and I think he struck out 13 in a three-hit shutout, uh, then he he will belong in that uh, neck of the woods. I'm gonna roll the dice a little bit. And I'm going to go with North Carolina righty J.B. Bukowskis. Uh, now, he uh, is very much the quote-unquote undersized right-hander. Uh, there are some people who are concerned with the effort in the delivery and think he has more of a reliever profile. Uh, and then there are some who think, you know, maybe he's Sonny Gray type. Uh, and, uh, you know, I talked to Bukakis when I was in North Carolina before the NHSI, and he loved that comp. Uh, he, he, he watched Sonny Gray and uh but he also said that if it turns out that the uh, team wants him to be a reliever, he's, he's cool with that, which I kind of like that attitude to, about that. But in terms of college guys who have just gone out and week in and week out flat out performed and dominated, no, no college pitcher has been better or more consistent than Bukakis. So I'm, that's uh, who I'm going to go with at number seven.
1: Number eight, Jim. And
2: I like that pick, and it's you know it's funny, Jonathan, because you talk to people, and he's one of the guys in my region, and it's. You get guys who are convinced he's 100% a reliever. I mean, I do think the delivery is better than it was coming out of high school, and I've talked to other guys who think he can start. The thing I do like is if he winds up being a reliever, it's, you know, and you can say that about almost any pitcher. You know, you can nitpick and say, I don't like this or I don't like that. I think he's going to be a reliever. If J.B. Bukaskis is a reliever, he's a closer because he probably has the best slider in the draft, and he also throws real hard. So if you're not talking about drafting a guy in the top ten who, who might wind up being a seventh-inning reliever, to, to me the fallback on him is, is closer because the stuff is so good. Right. At 8, you know, this guy's slipping some, and, and I like him, <laughs> and I'm going to take him, but my guess is he might not even go at 8 if the draft were today, and that would be Jaron Kendall from Vanderbilt. I guess i got two Vandy boys. Um, he's an outfielder. He, he's the best college athlete in this year's draft. He's tooled up. He's actually having a pretty good year, but he's also striking out in about 30% of his plate appearances. He struck out a decent amount last summer with, with Team USA. And there's concerns about the swing and miss. And I, I understand the concerns, but I look at the tools. Uh, you know, Jonathan like, admitted he, he likes upside. I like upside, too. And I'll, I'll, I'll go for the upside here with Jaron Kendall. I mean, the guy, guy, you know, still hits for decent average. And there goes my phone. So It's like a busy day here in the Cowes household. But, uh, uh, you know, he hits for average. He's shown power. He's a well, well above average runner. He can play good center field. Uh, I like Jaron Kendall, so I'm taking him at eight. Before the season, I would have thought that was a steal if I got him at eight in the draft. But teams are, are kind of cooling on him, and I don't think he necessarily would go that high if we were picking today.
1: All right, final picks of this exercise. Jonathan? Yeah,
2: well,
0: uh, I think you're right about Kendall uh, as well. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can get him to figure it out and and uh, close some of the holes in the swing then you could have a really special player, one who's who outside of the strikeout rate has largely performed for one of the best programs in the country. So, um since this is a completely fictitious draft and you don't have to worry about drafting two guys at the same position in 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 the top 10, um I'm going to take I'm going to take Paven Smith from the University of Virginia. Uh that is the uh, other first baseman that Jim was alluding to that could go, uh, in the, in the first round. Uh, he is, uh, according to many evaluators, the, the best pure hitter among, uh, college set, uh, he hits for average. Uh, there is more than enough power in there. University of Virginia is a really tough place to hit the ball out, but he's got double digit homers this year. Uh, you know, which is not something that happens all that often. Ryan Zimmerman didn't hit a lot of homers when he was at Virginia, for instance. Uh, So uh, I think once he goes to the pro game, uh, his his offensive skill set is going to translate really well. Now, you know, there's the caveat in that he is really a first baseman only. He's played a little left field. I guess you could run him out there, but it wouldn't be very good. Uh, But I think it's not going to matter because I think the profile will work really well at first, and I think he is one of those advanced college bats that could move uh, pretty quickly uh, up an organizational ladder.
1: And with the final pick, Jim, who do you have? A little torn here because part of me
2: wants to go with a high school pitcher like uh, D.L. Hall from Georgia, a lefty, or Shane Baz, a right-hander from Texas. But I'm going to take Alex Fajardo from Florida, who come into the year, I think – and I would have to look. But, Jonathan, I think when we did our kind of wild-ass guess mock drafts back in December where it was based more on guessing than any information, I think I had Faieto going number one to the Twins. Um, he hasn't um, been as sharp this year as he's been in the past. He's coming off arthroscopic surgery on both knees. But I think to get him at 10 would be a good value. I, I like the arm. Uh, he was the best pitcher on a loaded Florida staff last year, and I think he just hasn't been quite 100%. You know, we know he's. But he hasn't been bad, but we know he's better than this. So I'll take him at 10 and feel like I'm getting a little bit of a steal because there was no way he was going to go number 10 when this year began.
1: There it is, your locks for the first 10 picks of the Major League Baseball draft. Just kidding. That's who Jonathan and Jim would take if they were in charge and, and just could take whoever they wanted. Obviously, uh, the teams will probably pick differently, but I'll keep a note of this to see, and we can compare uh, when we all get together for rounds three through 5 and 3 through 10 uh, on day 2 of the draft. But uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.